This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone Church. And today, I'm actually going to launch a kind of multi-part series. We're looking at four parts, including today, where we're going to take some time to walk through um, a an explanation of race and something that is called critical theory. The roots of this discussion are both work that our elder team has been doing around how is it that Cornerstone as a church should address the question of race, racial injustice in our community, in America, but also how do we respond to some of the contemporary ideas about how we should seek racial justice to happen. And one of the big ideas kind of hitting the public sphere and rising to new prominence is this idea of critical race theory. And there's a lot of buzz around it in Christian circles, a lot of noise around it. And so what we wanted to take the time to do as a team of elders was thoughtfully and carefully address some of the questions of what is critical theory, where does it come from, and what do you need to know about it? And so what you need to know is we actually took a three-hour session of our theology program And Matt Lapine, Dr. Matt Lapine, who heads up the theology program here, did a really careful literary analysis of what critical theory is. Alex Tuckness, Dr. Alex Tuckness, who is a professor at Iowa State University, talked about critical theory in light of different secular theories of how you see justice done in the world. And then I and Jacob Varghese, another one of our elders, kind of shared some reflections on it. All of that was a three-hour in-depth theology program session. And we will actually end up linking to that session in the show notes if you want to see all of it. But what we're going to try to do in the next four episodes, this one included, of the Equip podcast is actually give you the cliff notes of that more in-depth discussion. And so if you don't want to spend the three hours kind of diving all the way down into the weeds of this, my introduction to that will be these kind of sessions of the Equip podcast over the next few weeks. And so my job today is to kind of set the broad picture and try to give you a snapshot of where does our elder team land in relationship to kind of critical theory, race, and what that looks like for the church in America. And all of this, I want to try to do my best not just to biblically be faithful to the content, but also biblically be faithful to the tone and the way in which we have this discussion. I want to embody James 3 that says wisdom that comes from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense, that the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. And so in a certain way, I'm going to desperately try to do my best to avoid what I see happening in the social media sphere of discussion around critical theory, race, the church, etc. What I'm seeing there is not a cultivation of peace, but a sowing of discord and division in the body of Christ. And so what I want to try to do is seek peace through careful understanding. And so by giving you a few weeks of kind of careful reflection on what the Bible says and what critical race theory says and what theories of justice secularly say, I hope to lead to peace through understanding and through kindness. So 
What I'm going to do today is first set out a brief definition of what is critical theory, which I will in a later podcast unpack in greater depth with Dr. Lapine, Matt Lapine. Then I will talk about how critical theory tries to address the question of race and justice in America, which again, I will unpack in a much greater depth in a later podcast with Alex Tuckness. So there's follow-up podcasts to that as well. And then finally, I'll give some kind of summary statements about ways I see this interacting with Christians in the broader Christian sphere, but also in our church and Cornerstone Church. And I'll unpack even some of those reflections in greater depth later with Jacob Varghese. So I hope in this overview, though, in kind of one kind of blast, you'll get some helpful information. So let's dive right into it, guys. First off, what is critical theory? I'm going to read you a definition that Matt Lapine presented to our theology class. He said, critical theory is a collection of critical stances or interpretive modes that evaluate existing legal, social, economic orders from the perspective of a minoritized group. The aim is to understand how a minoritized group is treated unjustly within a society in order to counter that prejudice. Okay, that's a detailed definition, but the key there is to say largely critical theory is about looking at life through the perspective of a minority or in critical theory language, an oppressed group. And critical theory has six key elements to it. Matt unpacked a lot of these, but I want to really heavily lean on um, the explanation given by apologist Neil Shenvey when he explains critical theory. We will link to his explanation in the show notes. It's an excellent four-part series on critical theory from a Christian perspective. He says critical theory has six key premises. So I'm going to give you those. The first premise of critical theory is what you could call a group binary or a dividing of people into categories of us and them, oppressed versus oppressor. What Shenvey says is our individual identity, who we are as individuals, critical theory sees is completely inseparable through, from our larger group identity. The second premise of critical theory is key here then, that oppression— or injustice happens as the power of the majority is forced onto the minority. Okay, here's a definition of that, or an example of that from Sensoy and D'Angelo, who are two of the key critical theory writers in popular literature. They say, in any relationship between groups that define one another, the relationship between men and women, between the able-bodied or the disabled, between the young and old, between black and white, the dominant group is the group that is more highly valued, and dominant groups set the norms by which a minoritized group is judged and held down. Okay, so oppression comes through the power of the majority. Third key premise to critical theory is that liberation of the oppressed group from the majority power is a moral duty. Now, I want to hit into this because as such, they define morality in critical theory very differently than you might expect. Critical theory in its roots is a postmodern morality. What that means is it's basically a denial that there is ultimately right and wrong by the traditional way of defining. Instead, you don't have a word, a world where morality is conceived in right and wrong, but a world in which morality is conceived in terms of power dynamics of power, and liberation of an oppressed group is the central moral duty in that world of power. 
Okay, premise four to critical theory. And this one, these are kind of sub-premises, not quite as central, but that you'll see them characteristically in the literature, is that there is a tendency toward the valuing of lived or personal experience over objective evidence or statistical reality. Okay, you need to really value the the, uh, one way that people talk about that is it's a sensory lens or perspective lens. You're looking through the lens of the lived experience, primarily of the minority group as the way you understand. Now that relates to the fifth premise, and that is they reject the idea of objectivity. Okay, in critical theory, one of the baseline ideas is that there is no such thing as objective truth. There is only perspective truth. You have your view of truth. I have my view of truth. And in critical theory, particularly the view of truth that matters the most is to look at truth from the perspective of the oppressed or the minority group. Then the sixth premise of critical theory follows that, which is intersectionality. Intersectionality, what that means is there's not just one powerful group, one majority group, and one minority group. There are lots of places where there are relationships between those in power and those not in power. For instance, you could be a black female who is a lesbian. Those three groups are all in critical theory minoritized groups, black as opposed to white, female as opposed to male, lesbian, or homosexual as opposed to heterosexual. All of those minoritized perspectives added together put you at an intersection which helps you to see oppression. All right, those are the six key features that Neil Shenvey puts out for understanding critical theory. Oppressed versus oppressor, oppression through the power of majority, liberation as the primary moral duty, a tendency to value lived experience, a denial of the ob- reality of objective truth, and then six, intersectionality. Now, here's where all this comes together in American culture today, is that largely that critical theory way of seeing the world is the operating worldview underneath much of what is happening in our popular discussion around race. Here's where you hear it be- being called CRT, or critical race theory. For this, you could go to works of popular authors, Ibram Kendi, ta Coates, Robin DeAngelo. They're all writing inside the perspective of this kind of thought tradition called critical race theory. It's the large worldview underneath Black Lives Matter, the organization, underneath movements such as defunding the police. And it needs to, I think it's important for us to state this, it is a different sort of worldview than the worldview that drove the original civil rights movement that you might think of with Dr. King in the 60s. The civil rights movement the MLK led largely rose out of the Judeo-Christian roots of the African-American church. That's in contrast to the critical theory movement of racial justice that doesn't arise out of the church, but arises in large measure in opposition to the church. In the new critical race theory moment, um, MLK, he was pleading with America to live up to the values of our founding ideals, to be who we promised that we were supposed to be for all people. In a critical race theory perspective, you need to understand the goal is not for America to live up to its ideals because America's ideals 
are the power of the majority. So as such, the goal isn't to live up to our ideals, but to overthrow oppressive systems of injustice. Thus, in the old movement, what you try to do is build consensus toward change. And in the new movement, you want to build a large enough movement to bring revolutionary action, to bring large-scale movement to overthrow oppressive power. As such, then, in summary, critical race theory offers a way to see the world, which we'll unpack more of when we have this discussion with Matt Lapine. It offers a way to think about what justice is and how you get it as a political theory, which we'll unpack more of with Dr. Alex Tuckness. But when critical theory gets applied to race currently, here's my analysis, and I want to be blunt with this. Critical race theory offers a fatally flawed solution to a very real problem. Racial injustice and racial inequality is historically the tragic sin of our nation in America, and it is one that has certainly infected and even been perpetuated in some ways tragically by the Christian church. We've failed in many ways, and there are many ways in which we haven't yet lived up to the ideals of what the commands of Christ or even the founding ideals of our nation call us to in regard to equality for all people. That is a very real problem. But what I want to say is critical race theory, while it may offer us some perspectives that give us new insight into the world, offers us a set of deeply flawed solutions that are incompatible in large scale with a Christian worldview. Okay, now why in the world does it matter for me as a pastor at Cornerstone Church of Ames, Iowa, to talk about this? Why are our elders considering this? Well, there's a couple reasons here. The first one is this. We actually do think racism is a sin that Scripture addresses and that the solutions that are found in Christ are a powerful gospel witness to this cultural moment. We think getting things right by the Scripture in the matter of race matters, and it's part of a healthy church expressing itself in this moment. We're trying to patiently and consistently preach the Scripture and apply it to all of life, so we grow more and more as a church into the image and reflection of Christ, who is our head. We believe that matters. And so as such, another thing that does matter is if you want to grow up into Christ— the history of the Christian tradition recognizes that we also have to identify that which is a flawed solution, and CRT is a flawed solution. But we're also seeing inside of this moment that critical race theory is impacting Christians in a couple ways that are concerning to us as elders, and they look very different. So I'm going to address those two ways. The first is this. We are encountering more and more people who are becoming convinced that any church that talks about race has somehow smuggled CRT into the church as a Trojan horse to lead it away from the gospel. So in this viewpoint, any church that is talking a lot about race or about justice or even really mentioning it is unwittingly smuggling in a false gospel and in danger of losing the priority of Scripture. And to that concern, our elders want to say, you are overstating and perhaps misunderstanding what is happening. Friends, in this moment, critical race theory does offer a set of solutions that are incompatible with the Christian worldview. But a person who says 
biblical justice speaks to matters of race is not to be equated automatically with a critical race theorist or social justice warrior. To unnecessarily label people in that way is to lie. It's to break the ninth commandment of bearing false witness. Not all things that address race are critical race theory. Even let me go directly at one of the things I hear often. We're part of the Southern Baptist denomination. And that denomination adopted a resolution in regard to critical race theory, okay? And I, I just want to read a bit of that, that resolution to you. That resolution, with many preambles, begins with this. We are resolved as the messengers of the Southern Baptist Convention to affirm that Scripture is the first, last, and sufficient authority with regard to how the church seeks to address social ills, and we reject any conduct, creed, and religious opinion which contradicts Scripture. And be it further, we are resolved that critical race theory and intersectionality should only be employed as analytical tools subordinate to Scripture, never as transcendent ideological frameworks. It goes on from there to address more of critical race theory. The way this has been presented to me as a pastor is like this. You should consider getting out of the Southern Baptist Convention because they have a resolution that critical race theory is a way to understand racial justice. And my simple statement is, okay, first off, that's actually not what the resolution says in fairness to it. And secondly, I think you may misunderstand how a denomination works in kindness. So let me give an illustration. Imagine that we were talking about the political situation of the United States of America, okay? And we were addressing uh, what Donald Trump's cabinet thinks. And imagine that you were to show up to a cabinet meeting, Donald Trump is presiding over it, and someone put on the floor, they said, you know, looking at the violence in Kenosha, I wonder if we should look again at maybe some sort of action that would establish a clearer registration pathway for assault-level rifles. We, we should maybe consider discussion about that. I don't, I don't want to ban all assaults. I want to make sure we affirm the right to bear arms, all those sorts of things. But I want to now imagine the next day you had saw a published national headline that said this, Donald Trump's cabinet infected by liberal agenda to defund the police and run America into socialism. What would you think of that headline? Well, you would counteract it because you would say, no one on Donald Trump's cabinet thinks that. They had a very limited discussion about the utility of gun control laws. Friends, the cabinet, so to speak, of the Southern Baptist Convention is the presidents of the seminaries and the Southern Baptist entities like North American Mission Board and International Mission Board. Every single one of those men, excuse my (coughs) coughing, Every single one of those men in a position of leadership in the Southern Baptist Convention is deeply committed to Scripture as final authority, and none of them are the furthest thing from a critical race theorist. So, proposing that that resolution, which is passed in a room of 40,000 people, you got to understand it's a little bit of a kooky giant business meeting called the Southern Baptist Convention— That wasn't meant to say the Southern Baptist Convention is going the way of critical race theory. It was meant to limit the utility of it and to say Scripture is final authority. So I have no concern about that. And here's here's actually, let me get back to my central concern. My central concern here is when you have the idea that we need to stop talking about race and get back to the Bible— 
I actually think that in so doing, you may be playing into the hands of people who purport critical race theory. Let me read you from Neil Shinvey. I, I cited his work on critical race theory earlier. He says, if you share my concern, if you're worried about the inroads that critical theory makes in the church, the worst possible thing you could do is minimize or even worse, dismiss racism as a problem. Here's my point. Don't minimize the problem. Lift up the Bible as the solution, folks. We do need to have this conversation. We just need to have it in a way that's different from the rest of the world. And actually here then comes my second problem. If first concern from our elders is people who are basically slurring anyone who talks about race and labeling them as a social justice woke warrior and critical race theorist, there is an opposite concern that I have, that there are many Christians who are unwittingly swallowing critical race theory without understanding that it is deeply incompatible with a Christian worldview. I hear this often, particularly from young people, honestly. I don't really even know what critical race theory is, so there's no way that I'm affected by it at all. And then those same people share with me Robin D'Angelo's book on white fragility, which, by the way, I was helped to read. But just so you're aware, that book is literally critical race theory. It's explicit critical race theory. It is one of the dominant voices. So what you find is people who are unaware that the current social answers being proposed to the problem of racism need careful biblical analysis. In other words, not all solutions to a real problem are to be immediately accepted. And actually, we don't do justice to the depth of the problem of racial inequality to offer up to that problem solutions that are deeply beneath the solutions offered by Scripture. Friends, Black lives matter. That statement is absolutely true. It is true in the same way as when as a Christian I say unborn lives matter. I am highlighting a group of people who often are overlooked and marginalized and saying that they're made in the image of God and they deserve dignity, value, and worth. That statement I have absolutely no problem with. Black Lives Matter, the organization that tells you what they believe on blacklivesmatter.com, I absolutely cannot support as a Christian because the values that they put forward are deeply incompatible with the roots of the Christian faith. They're not hiding that they want to overthrow the basic definition of a nuclear family. So we don't do justice to what Black Lives Matter, the organization, is after to affirm only the statement without a critical question about what is the aim of the organization. It is an explicitly political organization with explicitly political and social aims, and we don't do it any honor to act like it isn't. Even things like the defund the police movement. I believe we need a public discussion on over-aggressive policing tactics, and when any officer of the law would abuse the authority that is given to them, we should use the due process of our legal system to address those abuses of authority because a flawed and abused authority undermines the usefulness of authority. But I want to go back to this. Critical theory in its essence sees expressions of power as morally unjust things that must be overthrown. 
As Christians, we don't see power as morally wrong. We see it as an authority delegated by God. A good authority can be abused, but that abuse does not constitute a means or a necessary reason why we should overthrow that authority. Rather, abuse of authority constitutes a reason to look at the authority and call them to live up to the ideals God has commanded. Even when we talk about police, my argument here is we do need good police and we do need to work to see better policing practices. But the idea that we should overthrow the institutions of law enforcement is utter nonsense from a Christian perspective. Of course we cannot do that. God gave us those who enforce the laws to put back that which is evil and to lift up that which is good. So what I want to say is this. I do think that it's entirely possible for good, well-meaning Christians to have unwittingly swallowed more of CRT than they really think and to actually be putting forward then deeply flawed solutions to problems that are deeply important for us to wrestle with biblically. I want the scripture to speak to us, to say that in the church, there's no place for racial injustice because Ephesians 2 says to us, for those who are now in Christ Jesus, we who once were far away from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ, that he's our peace. He made us both one He tore down the former dividing walls of hostility and in his flesh made of no effect the law consisting of regulations and standards so that he would create in himself what? A new man from the two, a new body that is both reconciled to God and at peace with one another. That is a beautiful picture of what we want to live into and what the gospel calls us to. And so here's what I want to do both today and in the podcast to come, what I want to invite you to do is try to consider thoughtfully and biblically and fairly what exactly is critical theory so that you don't get torn to either of the extremes, an extreme that would label everything that talks about race as critical theory or an extreme that would say there's nobody who's infected by critical theory. I want you to think deeply with us for a couple weeks with the end goal that we would develop together a wisdom that is from above, a wisdom that is first pure, then peace-loving, that is gentle, that is open to reason, that is full of mercy and good fruits, that is unwavering, that is without pretense, that ultimately will lead to a fruit of righteousness sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. My prayer is that these next few podcasts would help to root you in scripture, to grow you in wisdom so that we would be the sort of peace-loving people who bring unity to the world and to the church. 